and welcome to the Rubber Duck Dev Show. I'm Chris. And I'm Creston. And today we're going to talk about microservices fails, which is something I can bitch a lot about. But before we do that, we can review. How was your week? Unbelievably busy. Um, trying to keep plates spinning and not falling, and it's it's been a real struggle. Um, you know, doing some... Yeah, I mean, I'm just basically consulting here, application stuff here. I'm pushing forward my new course and doing things related to that. This is my Postgres course on performance optimization. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, there's just a lot of stuff going on. <laughs> I I can't even express, I can't even remember something specific. There's just been so many things yeah. that have been going on. What about, if I, I'll, try to think if i remember something how, <laughs> how's your week been uh also very busy and it's going to be a busy weekend i'm actually off of work tomorrow so i had a little bit of a compressed work schedule but i'm off because um my youngest daughter is performing at ren fair so i'm going to ren fair all day tomorrow and then saturday my nephew's wedding is happening so i'll be there all day saturday and then um then I'll go back to work. So it's, no, no, no break for you. No. So I, I'm I'm busy, and then I get a break to be busy again. So this is gonna be a. I think I'm gonna be a tired puppy next week. But you know, just those things happen every once in a while in life, and you just yeah. Plug on. I just had to. I just yeah. Like Thursdays are really busy because that's when I tend to record scaling Postgres as well as we record this show. Mm -hmm. and i have all the other work going on at the same time and now suddenly um my dog i had to bring to the vet for some issues she's fine no. but still it was just there's two to three hours out of the day that <laughs> oh, no. so, yeah and i had that. i had to go clothes shopping this morning because to get ready for the wedding i realized oh um yeah i i've lost so much weight since the last time I wore dress-up clothes that I don't have any dress-up clothes that fit for a wedding. So I can't go in shorts and a t-shirt. So spent a couple hours clothes shopping this morning, which I absolutely hate. Oh, oh, hate yep. that. But, you know, got to do what you got to do. Anyway, microservices fails. All right, so let's, let's first... Um, before we get too deep into discussing it, let's kind of define what microservices are. So um, what does that mean exactly? Well, I've never used them, so you probably have a better uh, or more accurate description of them. I, I did find one that um, it's basically as a, they're micro, they're small services, and maybe each is running in its own process or two and just communicating, maybe using an HTTP protocol. So maybe you have separate services and containers, and they kind of do one dedicated job, one service as a part of your application. That's my interpretation of it. But I again, I've never used the architecture. Yeah, that's, that's kind of what I look at them at as is um non-monolithic apps um just 
taking like extracting an, a a set of things into little bits and pieces that sit all over the place. And so, you know, it, like I've heard some people term this kind of like SOA or service oriented architecture, but you're calling a bunch of different services instead of having a monolithic app. Um, the, I think serverless stuff kind of fits into this a little bit, but it's just, you know, I've got this little app that does one little thing. Like, let's say I have my login app and all it does is logins and I have my, um, my, uh, scheduling app and all it does is is processes schedules you know um, and all these little things talk to each other and I've got a hundred of them all over the place and every time I got it numb some new function in my product I just build a little app that just does that function and then provision it and have everybody talk to it so that's I, that's my it take sounds, on what we're talking about it sounds like essentially modules in a normal <laughs> right yeah monolithic just... application instead of breaking apart things into modules you break them apart into actually independent app apps mini right. apps yeah and so which sounds right. like a nightmare to me but you know that's me <laughs> well yes we, we'll we'll get to that i have some it doesn't only sound like a nightmare to me it is a nightmare for me <laughs> like currently like now uh so we'll We'll kind of expand on that as we go, but um, the reason we came up with this topic, or you came up with this topic, is because you had read some articles, and some of these articles were a few months back, but um, it was kind of interesting to look at, um, like DHH was was talking some about this and and some other folks, Um, so can you give us kind of a rundown of what those articles were, were saying? Sure. So like, geez. yeah, so the one that kind of caused a whole bunch of people on social media to write additional things or to do YouTube episodes or whatever was the primevideotech.com website, which is Prime Video, which is part of Amazon, posted a blog post that was titled Scaling Up the Prime Video Audio-Video Monitoring Service and Reducing Costs by 90%. So that was the title. But in the subtitle is they moved from a distributed microservices architecture to a monolith application that helped them achieve higher scale resilience and reduced costs. So basically, they were using the microservices tooling of AWS, like their, um, oh gosh, they, you know, their Lambda functions. They were using serverless. They were using Lambda functions and S3 buckets and all this this architecture. And then that was prevented them from scaling to where they want to be. Like they got up to 5% of their goal in terms of where they wanted to scale to. Mm-hmm. And they basically re-examined and re-engineered it and basically rebuilt it as a monolith. And they hit their performance goals as well as reduced their cost by 90%. <laughs> Gee, so what's the benefit of of service-oriented architecture then? I don't I I don't get it. I mean, I think 
I understand it from the whiteboard perspective. From a theoretical standpoint, it seems like it would be a a good thing. You compartmentalize this stuff, and you have this app only does this thing, so if something goes wrong with this thing, I know right where to go. Um, but from a practical standpoint, what you end up with is the same, it's the same kind of theory that, that generated the concept of DLLs, um, back in the Windows days when you were doing, um, you know, when, well, I'm, they still have them, but, um, there was a term for the first half of my career called DLL hell. And it was kind of the same thing where you just had these little bits all over the place, just getting confused all the time. And you, you, the concept of, oh, I can just update this one DLL and deliver it for a patch worked in theory, but almost never worked in practice, except for very nominal cases of things. And that's kind of what I'm seeing in the in the real world for microservices is sounds great in theory, but we're now in microservice hell because, you know, we like at where I work, it was set up as microservices and we've got, a, you know, a little login server and then we've got a little authentication server and then we've got this and this and this. Well, I'm running into all kinds of problems, not only from... Well, I'm not running into cost problems. That's not my department, but yeah. there are cost issues associated <laughs> with that. Yeah. But what I run into are troubleshooting, tracing, maintenance problems. It's a nightmare to keep all that stuff straight. And then I'm I'm also I've been trying to convert things to our swag, so to get get our documentation, our API documentation over. But that's a nightmare because the in in order to let people actually use the R swag and cause with, with swagger, you can actually set it up so that you can do the calls, do real calls and actually practice with it on, on the documentation. But in order to do that, you have to call the authentication server cause we have to give you OAuth tokens for your API calls and stuff. Well, that's problematic because it's sitting on a different server. So there are, um, cross-server problems and restrictions on web pages, and so, and I think some with Swagger itself, and so trying to figure out a way around that has been a real nightmare. Um, and it's all because you know this distributed microservices, service-oriented architecture stuff. And frankly, I'm I'm not seeing any benefits to having that there. All I'm seeing is problems over and over and over again. And so, and, and it's the same, same thing that I ran into when I was doing desktop apps 10, 15 years ago with DLL hell, because, you know, it's just, it's too hard to keep track of all these things. And then if I have to update this one little service and it interacts with another service, well, now I got to go open this other code repo and make a little change there and then I got to go open this other one and I get this domino effect of repos having to be changed you know and, and which, it and and then you have <laughs> dependencies based upon that so you need oh I need to have this api's change to be in place before I can put the change in this other microservice before the other microservice can do what it needs to do yeah 
And when you're in a big company, what ends up happening is, okay, well, in order for me to change this thing that I'm in charge of, I have to get this other service changed that I'm not in charge of. So I have to contact another team and get them to change this thing, which means they have to put it in their rotation. And until they get it changed and updated and deployed, I can't do the thing I need to do. And so it's just a, it's a mess. You know, maybe it works for little one person teams who have like two or three different services. That's exactly when you should. <laughs> but, but then, right. But why are you doing that? Services. Exactly. <laughs> right. So I, I, I fail, fundamentally fail to understand why this was a thing. Um, why this was a thing ever beyond a whiteboard. Because I, I, I've never seen it work past a whiteboard in, in reality. That's a good question. I wonder where it presumably works well. Here's the thing. I think in the example of this AWS thing, excuse me, I should say it's Prime Video. It's not necessarily AWS isn't doing mm -hmm. it. They're, because they're part of Amazon, they're using AWS. But it's actually Prime Video that, that did this. They, I think they reach for microservices prematurely. I think you should start with, you know, lack of a better term, a monolith and build up to the point at which you get pain. And then at that point, is microservice something makes sense? Well, but even or then. Is it, or is it macro servicing something? Yeah, even then, if I was going to break things out, I'd be going in the in the direction of plugins or gems, shared libraries, not microservices, which, I mean, that's, I get that in a lot of cases that may be hair splitting, that, that distinction there. Not necessarily, but, but, but here's, a, where, here's a thing where I think a service, like having, like I remember back in the day, 37 Signals had Campfire and Basecamp and Backpack and all these different applications. They said, all right, we're going to make, but they had each had their own login. And then I think mm -hmm. people were complaining, why do I have to have a separate login? You're the same company. So they actually came up with a login server. All right. I see, see that as a reason to have a separate login service so that people get authenticated in one place and then they're passed off to whatever they have license to. Like, you know, if you're only using um, Campfire or Backpack, whatever it is, then mm -hmm. you do use the one login service and then you get passed upon to that particular application. So I think that's an example where, and it's, I wouldn't call that a microservice. It's more of a macro service. It's a bigger yeah. type thing. I think that makes sense, but separating everything, I, I don't know. I, I don't get it. I, I can tell you from firsthand experience, it, it, it makes a nightmare. It's, it's gross. And we're actually spending a good bit of time trying to collapse some of that stuff. Um, because it's, it's like, you know, why, why do we have a, a platform that, that is the database talker, right? And it's kind of the, the, the hub for all the spokes of these different things, but it doesn't do some of the database. We've got some of the database things split out to microservices. And I'm like, Okay. But, well, I but... think that's normally how it's done. Well, I mean, again, granted, it I is, haven't done it. But... I thought typically micro. No, I'm saying I thought typically each microservice had their own database. 
Well, I, it, yeah, except that it doesn't always. Like, like the login okay. server does. You know, the login server has its own database, and some of the microservices do. But what ended up happening is the microservices got so ingrained early on that even things that were talking to the primary central database started being partitioned out into microservices. And then it started to get into a mess where, all right, the, the main platform program does some talking to some of these things. And then this microservice does a lot of talking to some of the same things. And so now I've, once again, we're in a situation where, oh, I got to change something on the main platform. Well, I can't do it until we change this other thing. And and you get this ripple effect of, gosh, now I got to go through 13 different repos and track down all the places where this is. Oh, hey, I'd like to trace this problem. Well, I can only trace so far because once it gets to this point, it jumps to a completely different repo. Yeah, and the other thing that when I'm looking at this that seems not right <laughs> is that, you know, with microservices, basically your communication now has to take place over the network using HTTP which is not an efficient protocol. I would call it a reliable protocol, you know, HTTP, TCP, IP, I would call it reliable, not necessarily very performant compared to one Ruby process talking to another Ruby process on the same box. That's going to be enormously more performant or not even, but, even, but how many times do Ruby processes talk to each other? I mean, it's more frequent that, you know, there's something that's within the same Ruby process that, you know, memory saved here, exchanged there and whatnot. Right. And so I that's think... going to be dramatically faster than communicating over an HTTP call. Yeah. And, and I think, to, I mean, you make a good point. There's no, I don't see a benefit of splitting a lot of things out. The only, the only thing that I've ever seen really makes sense for this is like you were talking about before, where I have a bunch of disparate products that I want to have a singular login to. Um, but it, you know, even then I think there may be better ways to handle that, but that, you know, I, I could, I could give that one that, that makes sense. And once you get your log and, and logins, I, and again, yeah, and I don't call that a microservice. I call it more of like a macro service type thing. But yeah, yeah. and you know, once you get that login service stood up, you're not going to have to make changes to it a lot. And you, it's you, your yeah. other services aren't going to depend on. Okay, well, if I want to change this thing over here, I've got to make changes to the login to support. That's not going to happen very much. Um, so you know, and login is such a such a common thing that you're not going to have to uniquify it very much across different products. It's going to be the same for every product you do. So, you know, that makes sense to me, but much else doesn't really. I mean, there, there are other systems like that that I could see maybe you pull those out. I can't think of any good examples off the top of my head, but I'm sure there's something. But this, this micro, I, I think, like you said, it just got too small. We shouldn't be microservicing this. 
yeah, that's I what think, models are for. You know, and as I'm Objects. also thinking about this, I, I think it's a problem with tight coupling. So if you have something that's very tightly coupled, then you're running into this dependency problem where, hey, I need to change this service to use this because it relies on this. It's like, if you can architect your solution in such a way so that there's loose coupling, like again, there's very few interactions with the login server. It, I would imagine that, you know, it's yeah. just like authorize this or not. And you're not constantly, all the features in an application aren't going to be constantly contacting the login server for different things. Right. Unless you somehow do some sort of authorization with regard to it, but exclusive of, exclusive of that, it should be very loosely coupled. And I think coupled, and I think that it can work if you have, again, more macro services potentially. Yeah, but even with the loose coupling, it's still you still run into issues with maintenance and troubleshooting and conceptualizing the entire the entirety of your product um, code and and I'm not advocating you know, for that. I'm just saying that's the only way I was. Yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. The more tightly coupled you are, the the worse that's going to be. But even if you have perfection of loosely coupled code. I still wouldn't do it for most cases um, because the, the maintenance and, and troubleshooting aspects of it, not to mention the, the cost aspects of it. I mean, you know, with the, the way hosting costs have gone, it's that quickly spirals out of control. I mean, we've done a show on that with the, the costs yeah. of, of stuff. So um, I, I just, I, I, I can't make a good argument for most cases of microservices. Maybe we should have researched why microservices before starting the show. Well, <laughs> or we can ask the audience. Why do you have why do you have good reasons for microservices other than login? We'll give you login. I I get that. That one makes sense to me. But other than logins, how are microservices helping you? Do they make sense to you? Um, they don't to me, but but maybe you can convince me. I'm I'm always willing to have my mind changed. Um, so you know, throw in the comments below what you think about that, because I really don't. I really don't get it. I never have. <laughs> so um, now 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 what's interesting about this with what they were doing. It, going back to the performance of the system is one of the main reasons they stopped is because they were using serverless functions and they were passing this data around. They were storing stuff in an S3 bucket, then they were pulling it out again. And they were doing all of these process things using very, well, I mean, you know, Lambda functions and mm -hmm. stuff to do the transformations and everything. But there were presumably network round trips or all this stuff happening that was hurting performance and cost a lot of money to do the processing. Whereas they moved it to a, they said an ECS cluster, which I'm not sure what, do you remember what ECS is? I can't remember. It would basically, I thought they said they put it on an EC2 instance. Mm-hmm. And essentially, and now everything took place 
within the process memory of the instance. So all of these things that they were passing around to this service, that service across the network, it now all, all happens in one machine and everything takes place all at once. And that's how they got the 90% savings. Because again, like I said on the cost episodes, just finding EC2 servers cheaper than dirt because it's a commodity. <laughs> right. And so many other people can provide servers. And um, yeah, they just ran everything on that. And then that's how they got the 90% cost savings as well as far greater performance to meet their needs. And so the pendulum swings back again. Get to DLL hell. Stop doing that. Hey, microservices, stop doing that. I, I don't know. When it, should, should we have like, you know, we've got world history classes. Should we have programming history classes? Should those be a thing in school? I'm just wondering. I mean, even general technology, because the technology keeps on yo-yoing too. Yeah. I think it's, I think it's another generation. It, it's the, it's a history problem because one generation doesn't learn the um what's the, the, I was going to say the trials of the past basically what the previous generation learned yeah it's like i think the most recent generation i can't remember what they're called i mean there's gen z but i think there's even a newer one or whatever yeah but they say hey i got a new way of writing where you 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 write but you don't take your pen off of the paper <laughs> Um, and us are like, wait, you're talking about cursive, <laughs> which they don't teach anymore, but Hey, somebody will come well, up exactly, with it. Exactly. <laughs> but now they've found it and they think they found something new. <laughs> All these thoughts been thunk before. And I mean, I'm all for let's think of new things and let's investigate and, and come up with some new stuff. But man, it's just, I, I just keep seeing over and over and over again, the pendulum swinging back and forth and, and you know, the stuff I was dealing with the first 10 years of my career, and then it pivots the next 10 years of my you career get to deal and with now it's going back. <laughs> yeah. I, 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 hmm. I mean, let's, let's, maybe we ought to, maybe we ought to switch to a history show or so a tech history show or something. <laughs> Cause we keep talking about these concepts well, that just bounce they, back and we forth. We are imparting history. You're talking I, about DLLs. Now I, someone's like, yeah. someone, <laughs> some program watching this may say, what the heck's a DLL? Right. Yeah, go down that rabbit hole. Good luck. Um, they, I mean, and like microservices, DLLs, ton of sense on paper. From a theory standpoint, absolutely beautiful. Put them into practice, they choke. And that's kind of that's, what's happening to... That's a very poignant phrase in theory because in their... Um, in the blog post from Prime Video, mm -hmm. they said, um, in theory, this will allow us to scale each component independently. <laughs> However, yada, yada, yada. And then DHH, David Hanemeyer Hansen, jumped all over them and said... Took that phrase and he says, that really sums up so much of the microservices craze that was tearing through the tech industry for a while. And he says, quote, in theory, you know. Yeah. So it's it's where the rubber meets the road that it fails. Right. 
And, you know, I mean, you got to have theories before you can have practice because you got to got to find out. But I think I think what ends up I think there are two things that happen with stuff like this. And this is this is a little more of a general rant than just microservices. But microservices is a good example um, is that people come up with a theory and they they forget about a they forget about fail fast fail often so just try it if it doesn't work either amend it so that it does work or move on to something else if it can't work as and, opposed to double down <laughs> right and b i think you end up with this kind of i, I don't want to be rude I'm not trying to be rude or condescending with this, but I don't know of a better word. It's just kind of this hive mind fanboy kind of vibe that happens where, oh yeah, let's, let's, yeah, this is the greatest thing since sliced bread and everybody should do this. And that's what gets propagated. And without a lot of critical thinking um, in all cases about, is this really a good idea long-term? Um, I think there's a lot of, this is the coolest sexy thing this week, so let's do it. it kind of the same concept that was happening with all the JavaScript libraries. It's like every other week there's a new freaking JavaScript library, and it's the best one ever. Until next week. I think, and I, th I think DHH either says this or alludes to it, but I think people are watching and listening what Facebook does, what AWS does, what the where these gargantuan companies with thousands, if not tens of thousands of developers are doing, and they say, oh, they're doing that, we should do it. We sh They're doing that, we should do it too. But the problem is that either won't work at all or completely falls apart if you're talking about your company of say three developers or four developers. Right. Yeah, yeah, you can't support that without this thing without a thousand developers. So when you try to scale it back to 10 developers, you're screwed. You also find out when you get into these big companies, like if you go to work for one of these big companies, and I'm not trying to pick on just Amazon, it's just any big company. The bigger a company gets, the the more it has inefficiencies built into it. And, you know, you get these, the, the bigger the boat is, the slower it is to turn. And so they start lagging behind uh, best practices and they're like, well, yeah, it would be better to do this thing, but we've got this thing and to try to get everybody in the company to change would be a monolithic task. So no. Um, and you end up with a lot of inefficiencies. And But if you look at that from the outside, you're like, oh, this works great. Well, yeah, until you yeah. realize that they have to keep hiring well, people to deal with it. Yeah, the, the the pattern is they're a successful company. What they're doing is the best thing to do. So people copy it, and maybe it's not the best thing to do. Right. I mean, it could be. Some of their things are the it, best it thing could be to for, do. It could be for them. For, right. It could be for, it may not be, but it could be for them, but it won't, but it might not work at a, say, a smaller shop. But I, but I can tell you in the for a fact that in larger companies, there are a lot of it's not the best thing to do, but that's where we are. Exactly. <laughs> because yeah. it's it's so expensive yeah. to do to change to the best thing to do. Yep. Right? 
you know, if I'm a one person shop and I, and I want to change to a different project management system, it's not that big of a deal. I mean, it's a little bit of a pain in the butt, but if I, you know, you if do I do it in a weekend, <laughs> right. If I perceive that the payoff is worth it and then I'm going to be more efficient with this, this new project management system, I can just change it. Well, if you've got a project management system that a thousand people are using, that's, you know, half a year to start changing that over. It's extraordinarily expensive. It takes a lot of man hours. It's, you know, so yeah, this may be, it may bring us 500% efficiency improvement, but it's going to take too long and cost too much to get there, not only with money, but with opportunity costs. So, you know, and then somebody from the outside looks at that and say, well, this is the project management system that they're using, so it must be the best one. Mm, not necessarily. Think yeah. about that, you know. Also, it could be the best one for a thousand people. Exactly, yeah. But not for one. <laughs> the other thing that I think is causing these microservices is that I've heard from more than one source or more than one place that, oh, yeah, this service is built in Haskell. Oh, and this service is built in Node. So within the same company, they're using different languages. And this goes right, which to me seems insane. Um, if you have, let's say more than two. NTHA alludes to this as well, because now suddenly you hire a person who wants to, when you have microservices, it kind of gives the developers license to, hey, Rust is cool. Let me try doing this in Rust. Or, hey, Go is cool. I want to write the new service in Go as opposed to everything else is in Python or, or whatever it is. So that tendency to say, hey, what can I build here and put on my resume is the thing I'm going to write it in mm -hmm. for the next place I go. So then without strong management in place that says, no, our languages are this and this, this is what you get. Now, I was surprised, but actually DHH in one of his articles was saying, you know, if you need something blazingly fast, something faster than Ruby, then okay, well, maybe you could have one other language. And maybe you build, He again, he didn't call it microservice because I, I interpret that as many different services, but Mm -hmm. One dedicated service where you need high performance. All right, maybe you do that in a slightly different languages language. You use your Rust, your Go, your something else. Right, or just write it so, in C plus plus, or you know whatever you got to do. Whatever, some you know yeah. some compiled language or some functional language that's fast or whatever it is. Yeah. Which I'm reading. I was reading this, and this is goes back to something that I've done with my own product. Is that I had built a game analytics. SAS app using Ruby, Ruby on Rails. And I ran into what I perceived as performance problems scaling up when I had someone, a company that I serviced was rated the top game on the Apple App, Apple app Store. Mm -hmm. So that sent a ton of traffic down. <laughs> and I struggled with some scaling problems with that. Not at the not necessarily database stuff, but with Rails and Ruby and, and getting it, you know, yeah. performance where I needed to be. So when I was doing analytics for 
uh, my current app, I said, hey, you know, I'm, I was looking at Elixir at the time and I said, all right, I'm going to build it in Elixir. So I did that. So it's kind of weird that uh, DHH said that, but that's what I literally did. did. But however, to this day, I kind of similarly regret doing it because I'm like, yeah, yeah, but now I got to have this other language that I got to remember certain ways to build it and stuff. And, you know, so even though I've, I've done it and I've, I'm kind of have always regretted kind of doing it. Now, I don't know if I would, what the perfor performance impact would actually be if I had it in Ruby on Rails, but yeah. yeah. Well, I mean, we, and we've run into that too, and that is a danger. That's a good point is that when you have these microservices, people may decide, oh, I want to write this one in this language. And that, well, we're a Ruby shop primarily, but we have one of our little services got written in Go. No oh boy. One, yep. of our, one of our little services um, got, or a couple of the services are serverless. So they're okay. complete well, I mean... foreign mess to me. But, um, and then we have uh, one or two other languages. Then on the front ends, we have some of them were written with React. Some of them were written with other JavaScript frameworks. And um, so what ends up happening is like the, the thing that's written in Go, it's, it's a pretty important service, but it doesn't have to get messed with a lot. But every time it does, there's only one person in the company right now that knows oh, Go. Yeah. And so, so yeah. So, that's the guy. Hey, we got this emergency fix that's got to go out. I don't care what you're in the middle of. You got to fix it. Sorry. Or we hire another Go programmer for this one thing, spend a bunch of time getting them ramped up. You know, yeah. when we've got umpteen other Ruby programmers, had this been written in Ruby, we could hand that off in a heartbeat. But, you know, that's that's a problem. I'm all for right tool for the right job, but don't, you know. Yeah. I mean, like I said, I, I could see, and this is, I, I hate to say it. I kind of, not that I hate to say it. I always say that, but DHH's framework or his viewpoint was, okay, you have one language you love to code in. Of course, this is Ruby and it's very productive for the developer. But then when you need speed, you know, you could have something else and write whatever service or whatever you need in that. Mm -hmm. And that's, that's it. And yeah, that, that kind of makes sense to me. Yeah. But no more than two necessarily. Right. <laughs> you're always yeah. going to have JavaScript too. So don't write every service in a different language or you're going to have a problem keeping those up. Yeah, but I've heard of organ like I said at the beginning, I've heard of organizations that had this service was written in this and this one's in this and this one's in this. And I was like, oh my gosh, how many? I mean, I mean, I guess if you have hundreds of developers, you can handle that, but still. Um not not so well, well let me tell you from experience. That's <laughs> that's still a problem with hundreds of developers. Um so uh, you know. <laughs> that's where you go to every programmer. Anybody want to learn some Go? <laughs> yeah, they tried that. They didn't get any takers. <laughs> we were all like, uh, A, we're pretty busy with the workload we've got right now, and B, nah, uh, nah. 
Don't need to learn that one. Thanks. <laughs> we'll, we'll happily rewrite that service, though, in Ruby. Bring it, bring it, just bring it into the monolith here. Do you think there's a reason that it couldn't be written in that? No, there's not a reason that it couldn't be written in that. It's just a time and priority thing. Okay. That's all. Well, I mean, so do you know why it was written in that, or is it just... Somebody got a wild hair up their desire? ass. Okay, all right, okay. <laughs> that's, yeah. that's the long and short of it, really. It was the yeah. hot, you know, the hot, sexy new language yeah, at, yeah, the, yeah. at the moment, and... I mean, I guess, it, you know, it is what it is. But... Fortunately, it's not too big a deal, but it, it it can be a huge deal. You know, we happen to have umpteen developers that we can work around some of that stuff with if we have to. Yeah. But if you're yeah. a little 10 developer shop and you get stuck in that situation, that's that's a significant problem. You know, so... I don't know. I just I just don't get microservices. But, you know, if you're listening to or if you're watching the show on YouTube, uh leave us some comments. I I love to understand if people do have valid use cases in the real world where microservices are actually really helping uh especially on the on the side of maintenance and troubleshooting. Um cuz I I just I don't see it, but you know, hey, if if you can change my mind, I'm willing to have it changed. Um. Anyway, love to hear from you. Um, hope you guys enjoyed that. If you did, please make sure to like and subscribe. That'll help us out a lot. Also, make sure you mash that notification bell so that you can get ding donged every time we upload a video. Um. Yeah, I said that. It's okay. Uh. Also, you can you can. Join us on rubberduckdevshow.com. Sign up for our newsletter and find all of our podcasts and uh, videos there. Uh, we upload to we upload this show every Friday to YouTube, and it goes out to all of our podcast providers. So your favorite provider should have this as a podcast on it. So if you like to listen while you're jogging, running, or you know laying in your front yard stargazing, uh, you can do that. Um, so we will be back next week with a topic that we haven't decided on yet, but we will let you know. So you can, if you want to keep up to date with that, you can follow us on Twitter, X, X Twitter, uh, at Ducky Dev Show, and we'll let you know there. Uh, you can also join our Discord. The Discord link uh, will be in the description below. It's also a, a pinned tweet on our Twitter account, X Twitter X thing account. Uh, anyway. We will see you guys next week. And until then, happy programming. Happy programming.